Let's bow before the Lord in prayer before we open to uh, Titus chapter 1. Father, pray for our study this morning that you would be speaking to us from your word, to me, and that your word would be clear and that our lives and hearts would be touched by you and that you would accomplish those things that need to be accomplished in our lives. We are a needed people, and as been mentioned already, there is a lot of deception and a lot of confusion that is going on. And we don't claim to have all the answers, but we know a lot of what's going on. We understand enough from the scriptures to know about the deception and who is the, the great deceiver. And uh, we know who is going to win. And uh, we just thank you so much for the security, as we've already talked about, that we enjoy in you. Pray now as we open to Titus and look kind of over the shoulders of Titus to see the words that the apostle is writing to him and to him, uh, to us as well, that uh, you would be working and challenging us uh, in the ways that it needs to be done. We give our time to you and this time to you and ask you to work in our lives for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name and thanksgiving. Amen. Well, we've been looking here, as you remember, uh, Paul writing to Titus and he's encouraging him. He's left the island of Crete. He's left Titus behind. Titus is to kind of work among the churches and to sort of straighten out things there. Among the things that need to be done is to appoint leaders or elders in the church. The church is there to see that there is some leadership that takes place in the church and that there's some shepherding and things like this. I'm going to uh, back up a little bit instead of starting in verse 10. I think it's a good idea to get a little bit of an idea that uh, looking at verse 7 to kind of run into our text and kind of gives us the feel because our text, verse 10, begins with the little word for. And so in order to get a grasp of what that is there for, I'm going to back up. So I'm going to back up to verse 7 and you remember these words that uh, Titus, uh, that Paul wrote to Titus. He says, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, that is, contentious or or quarreler, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast or holding on or holding forth the faithful word which is in according with the teaching. That is, it's the faithful word that's the standard that uh, the apostolic um, confirmation of God's word uh, gives, that it's, it's the accepted teaching, so that you will be able both, watch this, to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. And remember last time we talked about, the whole time almost talked about the exhorting in solid, sound doctrine, and then to refute those who contradict the exhortation would be a positive aspect, and then the refuting those who contradict would be sort of a negative aspect. But that is followed then by our text, for there are many rebellious men. And so that kind of lays the groundwork, doesn't it, for our text. The reason that he is telling us here uh, to exhort sound doctrine and refute those who contradict is because 
There are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers that is in the church, especially those of the circumcision who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things that they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Down to verse 16, a reminder that these are, are people within the church. It says they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. That's that verse 16. I'm just adding to it to draw your attention to the fact that these people that that are rebellious and empty talkers are people that are in the church, in the fellowship. And obviously, they're probably not believers, but they are there, they're accepted, and uh, they are in the church. And so it's kind of a serious scenario that uh, Paul is painting to Titus here about the things that are going on. And so he's, we are, I've entitled our subject, I don't know if the enemy is the best term, but I've entitled it Dealing with the Enemy. Because there are those who are working to the powers of darkness and they're there to destroy and distort. And so these are some counsels, if you will, in dealing with the enemy. First of all, the elder, his job there kind of is to correct false teachers. And that's what um, the job has been. And it's been kind of an ongoing job, both with, as Paul wrote to, Titus here, as he wrote to Timothy in second in the first Timothy, Paul, first Timothy chapter one, Paul wrote, As I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention, if you will, to myths and endless genealogies. And so those are those are that's a, a familiar chorus. It's just, it's a reminder that we are in a day in which there is a battle going on and is a battle over truth. And uh, Satan is there to do everything he can to distort our understanding of the truth or to rationalize part of it away. And the scriptures give quite a bit of warning about that. Warned about in Revelation about adding to or taking from God's word. We see a little bit of, well, not a little bit, we see a, the cause of that in the Garden of Eden where the serpent came and caused the Eve to question whether God had really said and what he had said and to distort it a little bit. And the, the ramifications of distorting the truth of God are significant. And so it's not something that is casual and it's not something that's, that's rare you remember when Paul was writing, was stopping by Miletus and he was confronting the Ephesian elders. One of the things he said was, I say, he said, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. And they're not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things in order to draw away the disciples to themselves. And so that's. Paul warned the church that this was going to happen after his departure, after he was he was no longer going to be there to kind of oversee these things, and these things um, would arise and they would begin to take uh, kind of center stage there. And so it's something to be concerned about. Paul warned the same thing with the church at Rome um, in, in telling them what to look for. He said, keep your eyes on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned. So there are those there that are going to arise 
that they're going to be teaching things that are contrary to what you've learned. Keep your eyes on that. Uh, notice that. Don't let that happen. Turn away from those kinds of things. Uh, these kinds of people that do that are slaves. Now, we are. the Bible says we are slaves. We are slaves of Jesus Christ. But these men are slaves not of the Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites, their own passions. By their, he uses an interesting phrase, smooth speech. They are those who have a gift of oratory and that they can speak uh, well and communicate well. They're good communicators and they have smooth speech, but they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. The unsuspecting take what is being said. It's well presented and is polished and they take that and they listen to it and they um, take sides sometimes and follow different speakers that they happen to like. And uh, they're deceived. They're deceived by the smooth speech and things of this nature. Paul, uh, in, in, first, in Second Corinthians, uh, says, What I am doing I will continue to do so that I may cut off the opportunity of those who desire an opportunity to regard it such as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. Such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Just to point out, the battle is not new. It's been going on, and it's been going on for a long time. And we are told that Christ has given to the church leaders, apostles, prophets, for the attaining of the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man. This is Ephesians 4. To the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ, so that we are no longer tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine like children, but that we are stable. We're stable in the truth. So it's a battle going on, and that's that's what Paul is is counseling Titus to be aware of and to take it seriously and to be able to refute and to be able to confront these things that take place. First of all, he, it's interesting to me, and I want to may seem like a, a kind of a, a side road, but I want to talk about just for a moment some of the things that Paul says to Titus about these people. He calls them empty talkers. This is the middle of verse 10. Empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of circumcision, who must be silenced. Now, all of that language there makes us aware that we are dealing with a part of the human anatomy known as the tongue, and that the tongue of these these uh, false teachers is active, and Paul is saying that they need to be. Actually, you could you could translate that be muzzled, or you could put your hand over their mouth and stop them from talking, because these people that are teaching these things and saying these things should not be allowed to do that. And the Bible, and, and I'm not going to get into this too deeply, but it, the Bible says a lot about the tongue. We've talked about that, that the tongue is that part of the human anatomy that, I don't like to use the word regurgitate, but maybe that's a good word. It, it, it spews forth what's in the heart. Whatever's in the heart comes out of the mouth. And you can, you can tell what's in a person's heart by what comes out of his mouth. And James tells us the tongue, it's a small part of the body. And yet it boasts great things. See how a great forest is set aflame by such a small spark or such a small fire. A small fire can start a massive 
fire. It, it doesn't make any time for it to spread. And the tongue is a fire. He says it's a very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among members is that which defiles, uh, that means contaminates or defies the whole body. The tongue defies the whole body. It, set on fire, it sets on fire the course of our life, and it is set on fire by hell. That's strong language, very strong language. And uh, there are many species of birds and beasts and reptiles that can be tamed and have been tamed. But verse 8 says, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And you know, and I know, and you had the experience, and I have too, of being upset and saying things to somebody you love that you shouldn't have said. And you really wish you could take it back, but you can't. You can do a lot of damage with the tongue. Paul says in Romans 3, the tongue is like an open grave. That is, a, a grave is a place where you put a body. And in that climate, the hot climate, the grave that is opened up is going to stink. And while you, you, would, you would not like to expose a person you love to that, it's disrespectful to the person to watch their body just deteriorate below and all that kind of thing. The tongue is like an open grave. You open your mouth, it's like an open grave. Their tongues, he says, their, their throat is an open grave. Their tongues, they keep deceiving. That means that there's continually deception that comes out of the mouth. And I have to say this, and I know what it means to, to be deceptive. I know what it means to say things and then realize it's just an exaggeration. But there's still a lie in there. Still a lie. Keep deceiving is the poison of snakes is under their lips, which is a way of just saying that, 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 that the language that comes out has venom and it can kill, it can damage, it can hurt. Uh, it's very, very powerful and it's very dangerous. That's the tongue. That's the potential of the human tongue. And uh, Paul says that evil men and imposters, this is Second Timothy 13, will proceed from bad to worse deceiving, here's the scary part, and being deceived. So not only are they deceiving, but they themselves are deceived about the things, and that they think things are okay sometimes, and that they are deceived themselves. That's a scary, scary scenario. And yet that, that is what he's saying that takes place with this. And so we have this, this picture here that's not a very pleasant picture of things that are going on with the mouth and with the tongue and with the throat. <coughs> Proverbs 18.21 says this about the tongue. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And you can say things with the tongue that can really destroy somebody. You can say things with the tongue that give, seems to give rejuvenation and life and encouragement. Uh, Siggy was one that liked to encourage. She was a big encourager. And uh, that's a good thing to do that. It's in the power of the tongue. And uh, it just it's good to remember that. It's good to remember that, and it's good to, to put a kind of a muzzle over our mouth and what we say and just think about what we say before we say it. Because once you say it, it cannot be, cannot be retracted. The damage can be done. And, uh, it, 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 uh, and many times, a harsh word on one side results in a harsh word on the other side, and all of a sudden you're bantering back and forth with, with arguments and fights and things like that. Proverbs 26, 28 says, A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth is a ruin, works ruin. So you have a tongue that can crush, you have a, a tongue that can flatter just for personal advantage and say things, and uh, it, the tongue is the instrument that is used there, and it's a scary thing. It's really scary. Remember Job, one of the best men in the Bible, uh, one of the very best. 
And yet Job had a problem uh, near the end of the book with his tongue. Uh, Job 42, 3, he says, Who is this that darkens counsel without knowledge or hides counsel without knowledge? That is, it's talking about things that you really don't know what you're talking about. That's that's kind of scary. And yet, I know what it's like to talk about things that you don't know what you're talking about. And maybe you probably know what it's like to talk about things that you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And your mouth just works away and runs away. We all like to do that. The, the popularity of talk radio is a, is a testimony to that. We all like to give our opinions about matters. We like to say it. And then after that, then we have to live with what we said. And so here it is. He says, who is... who?" Uh, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? This is Job. Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand. Things that are too marvelous, too wonderful, beyond me. Things which I did not know. He said, and so he concludes, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent and thus and that. Job realized, even in the midst of this suffering, that his mouth should should have been under control, and there was much he was talking about and saying and giving many opinions about things that he had no business doing. So the tongue is an issue. It's something that needs to be watched here, and in this context, it comes up. Now, the second thing I want you to see at the beginning of the text, before we get into it, is the little word many. It says, for there are many rebellious men, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Um, I've already kind of hinted at that, that this idea of dealing with false teachers is a battle that's been going on in the church for a long time. Um, and we can go back. We've looked at these guys before. Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy. He says uh, in Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, that the Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, that is the times of Messiah, when Jesus has come, this, this is the time of, of, of this church age, at the latter time, some will fall away from the faith. That is, they're in the church, but they will fall away from the faith, from the truth. They will be paying attention. Watch this now. They will be paying attention to deceitful spirits. Now, that may not make good sense, but there, there's a communication in the early church. Their spirits would speak directly. Now, this is talking about there at the beginning, I think, that there's this spiritual the spirit would speak through the prophets in the church that would communicate and uh he said that there one of the ways you can tell if the spirit is the holy spirit or not is by finding out what he says about the coming of christ that no man speaking by the spirit of god will say jesus is accursed so you there's kind of warnings of that here is it saying that the spirits that are speaking are deceitful spirits and there are doctrines that are inspired by demons and so you have to be careful because there is a lot of garbage that's, that was being taught in the church that may not be true. So you want to be, you see what I'm saying? It's just good to have discernment, to be careful and compare everything with what we know to be true. Um, it does matter. Um, and so that was Paul writing Timothy. And then our text is after that, when Paul wrote to Titus, and he counseled Titus to be careful, watch for these deceitful these people that are speaking, uh, and that there must be silence, and so on and so forth. And then after Titus, Peter has written about the same thing. Second Peter 2, that talks about false prophets. In fact, we were looking at this just the other day. False prophets also arose among the people. 
just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Destructive means that what they're teaching is is destroying and doing damage. Even denying the master who bought them, that is their church members, and they're in the church, and the master who bought them, they're denying the very master who who is the savior of the church. And they're bringing swift destruction upon themselves. First word or next verse, in my translation, is many will follow their sensuality. And the way of truth will be maligned or distorted. In their greed, we'll be talking about greed, they will exploit you with false words. And their judgment from long ago is not idle. And their destruction does not escape. That's from Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And so this is this is a, a warning that takes place, and it's a warning that takes place to those who are in the church. As we already noted, Paul said to keep an eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances and contrary to the teaching which you have received. It's a warning <laughs> to be watchful in the church. That's one of the jobs of being a, a spiritual leader is to do that. And uh, then the text goes on to say not only are there many, but he calls them, and I'm going to spend a few moments on this, and then I'm going to stop. Uh, there are a few, three things he talks about. He talks about rebellious men. If you see it there in the text in Titus verse 10. Um, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Rebellious men, um, rebellion has to do kind of with the, someone who's self-exalting. They exalt <coughs> themselves over God's authority. They put the, their own opinions and their own philosophy on a level that is higher than God's, and uh, they are exalting themselves. They are they are unresponsive, if you will, to the authorities that God has placed. And this is not just authority in in society, but the authority in the church as well. And it's not so much that the authority in the church has the authority to go around and say that you, you we should have red curtains or that we should uh, not have a this particular instrument here or whatever. And it's not so much that. It's the authority based upon what the scriptures teach. It's clearly um, directives and suggestions and thoughts that flow out of what the Bible teaches because that's what leaders are to do. That's why in the text that we're looking at there at the beginning, he he tells them to exhort and refute, and that is to be done on sound doctrine that's to be done on the scriptures. And so the authority is not so much that we get to decide where we're going to go eat or what we're going to do for vacation or whatever, but rather it's based on applying the word to life, to the the things of life. And actually, we can go overboard even with that because we can take things out and stretch them like a lot of times the Jews did, the Pharisees did, to use the word to dominate every aspect of what you can do on the Sabbath and and how things can can, uh, can degenerate to being mad because Jesus was healing a guy on the Sabbath. You know, it's kind of, kind of crazy, it is, and it's really kind of stupid, but yet at the same time, that's how far you can go, and so you, you don't want to do that. You, you, you want to hold these things, and the, and the Bible does that. It holds them in good balance, and there's, there's two sides, and you can, you can do that. It tells you what's right, it tells you what's wrong, and you can make those decisions. And so, um, I like what um, 
we looked at it earlier, what Paul said about the Ephesian elders. He said, after my deception, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. It just points out the fact that they're there, they're going to come in, they're going to be ravaging, they're going to be doing damage, and they're going to be hurting. And that's what false doctrine does. That's what this idea of rebellion does. We rebel against God's authority. God's authority is overseeing the welfare of the church. And so when we just tear that down and push that aside, we're doing damage to the church and we're hurting the church. And it's it's really, it, it's a serious thing. Um, one other thing here, and I've seen this, that I, I just want to mention, this is not so much in the text, but we are told to be careful about false teachers and those that are deliberately rebellious or empty talkers or whatever. Sometimes because the church is filled with people who are loving and gentle and, and believing that we, we lean too hard. And I don't know if that's the right word to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I know I've seen that where churches have overlooked a lot of things because they don't want to be unloving. They don't want to be, you understand what I'm saying? They don't want to be super critical. And so somebody is teaching something that's error. They'll tolerate that or let that go. And you, you don't want to do that. There's things that are going on. You want to just say something and, and discuss that, especially among the leadership. The leadership uh, has that kind of a serious, not kind of, has that serious responsibility. We do. And so we want to take that seriously. And we, we, uh, we want to deal with rebellion and we want to deal with it um, with grace and with love, but to be sure that it stops. That's what it says. To silence those who are doing this. Make sure that they don't continue because it's a serious thing. So that's the first thing. You have people that are doing things that are in defiance of authority or saying things in defiance of authority. And um, there are many, those many kinds of people that are rebellious like that. And uh, that's what he says. And so we want to see that. Um, one of the one of the good verses that I really appreciate in the scripture is the verse where it says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And he does. Now, it's it's amazing to me how I can be proud and I have nothing to be proud about. What do I have that I did not receive from the Lord? Nothing. And yet, I can be proud, I can be self-centered, uh, egocentric, that this, those words should never even be heard in my lips, and yet, that's true, sometimes I can't, I do that, and I know it, and I, and uh, God is just merciful, he hasn't, people sometimes joke around about you saying things that's boastful, and they say, well, you're going to get struck by lightning, or it will get away from you, like that, but if the Lord did strike us with lightning for doing things like that, I'd be dead a long time ago because of the fact that I have said things that are order, if you will, that are rebellious, that are poor taste, uh, that gives evidence that I'm speaking before I'm using my mind to decide what I'm going to say. There's not, not a good filter over the mouth. Do you understand what I'm saying? So as I told you, my dad used to say it's better for people to wonder what you would have said and wonder why you said it. He used to say that to me a lot. I don't know why he did it to me a lot, but he did. It's probably a good thing. It didn't sink in very well, but anyway. The tongue is a problem, and I know what it is. I know that. And so the the standard is to judge the truth, to judge the, the uh, to evaluate what's being said, to be sure it's in conformity to the word. 
And one other thing maybe we can say is that it needs to be a clear uh, statement in the scripture, not just what you think about the scripture, because uh, what you think about the scripture may not be what the scripture is actually saying. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't want to be too harsh on that because every time we read the Bible, we draw conclusions about what the Bible says and what it, and what it means by what it says. But we can be wrong, and we can say things that actually make the Bible to say something, or we can say things and, and believe things about the text that are actually not true and kind of twist it around to say what we think it says when it actually doesn't say that. So it's a good idea to be saved. And, and that's why I like, uh, there's some, like the MacArthur Study Bible, just to, I don't know if this is going over, the, but it's a good, that's a good translation. It's a sound translation, and uh, it's good to get the opinion of what some other Bible scholars who have really labored in the text say and think about the scriptures. Not that we don't want to think for ourselves, but we want to evaluate because when we were saved, a lot of what we understood about the gospel was communicated to us, and we didn't necessarily discover everything about the gospel from our own personal evaluation of the text. Many of these things we learned or heard from somebody else and we believe it, and it doesn't mean it's not true. It just means that we kind of stand on the shoulders of some other people. We are indebted to some other people, great people, who have communicated and labored in the Scriptures, and we can profit from them, and we can learn the Scriptures through them, but we want to be sure that it's what the Scripture says, and so we want to be careful with that. So that's a, that's a good thing. So the truth is, is what the Bible says. It's not just my opinion or your opinion. Um, the text of scripture needs to be studied, but it needs to be studied, studied in context. And I, I, and all of us know of verses that we study and we preach on and we take them out of context to make a point. But that, when we do that, we take a verse and rob it of its actual force because the context is what determines the thrust of what the text is being said. And I can give you examples. I'm not going to do it now, but the, the context is very, very important. And so we labor in the scripture to see what's being said, who's saying it, the context of what, what's being said, so that we can know what the Bible says and obey it. Uh, if we don't obey it, then we're going to end up being seen. And then also, um, there are, he, he talked about those who are empty talkers. That is, they have, um, they, they talk, but that what they say is not is not communicating real gospel truth. It's empty. It's void. Uh, there's impressive words, and and we we like to to uh, use impressive language. We like to communicate, uh, and we like to sit on the speakers that are good communicators. And a good communicator will will uh, speak, and he will draw a large crowd. Uh, Paul says in Second Timothy. Um, and you know the verse, it says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers and accordance with their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. You know the verse. What is the part of the human anatomy that is mentioned in that verse twice? Wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside 
commits. What he's saying is that they like that the speaking and the communication is pleasant to listen to. And that that's a good thing. It's nice to be able to do that, to be able to communicate the word of God accurately and uh, be able to do it in a way that is pleasant to listen to. But you want to be careful that when somebody is pleasant to listen to, you want to be careful of what they say is according to the scripture. Uh, and here are the people he, uh, Paul was warning about is that they are seeking speakers that they like and that they are being deceived. They're being led away, and that can happen. So you have to be careful. Um, I, I, was, I grew up in the town uh, where there's a, a Southern, Baptist, Southern Baptist convention, and I can remember when it was liberal. I can remember when there were people in that convention that, that uh, in fact, we had girls who would go to Sunday school, to the Baptist training union on Sunday night, and come back and talk about their teachers. They were denying the vicarious suffering of the Lord, the, the virgin birth, and things of this nature. And that's in the Southern Baptist Seminary. And uh, that that's really kind of, I have a problem with that. And uh, yet you have these people who come to churches like that, and they have a lot of education. They are polished speakers. They may be intellectual giants and have smooth arguments, and they can deceive the unsuspecting hearts. So that's why it's good to know the scriptures, and it's good to have some resources that you know are sound so that you can apply them to what you see in the scriptures and to know what the scripture says. And that's a good thing. That's why you're in church. This is where we, we gain the truth of God's word, is in the local fellowship that God has given us. Not on television, but here. All right. And so it's important that uh, these these people, they're intellectual giants, perhaps, but they're leading people astray sometimes. And I don't mean to say they all are. I'm not saying that. But you just have to be discerning because there are some that are. And um, some of them are getting a lot of money off of this and they're leading people astray. They will pay. Peter makes that clear. Their, their day is coming. Um, Revelation warns us not to add to or take from God's word. Um, you do, you take away from the promises that, that it makes to you. They distort the truth, um, like the serpent did in the Garden of Eden. They say, as God said, they bring it to question, and you want to be careful about that. So the church is, is we're at a battle, we're in a battle. The church is filled with those that are eager, uh, to, they have many in there that are eager to, eager to lead us astray. And so you have to be careful. I don't mean to say that that we are in this church, we're surrounded by a whole bunch of them like that, but I'm just using the word Paul uses, many. And he says there in the, the church in that time, early, especially there in Crete, there would be many that were rebellious, many that were leading people astray. And uh, Paul warns that uh, some will fall away from the faith, giving heed to the deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. We've already seen that verse, and that's, that's true. This is not just something, and I'm going to start with this, this is not just something that is prevalent in the New Testament, by the way. It is also prevalent in the Old Testament. And I'll give you a couple of verses. Uh, one is uh, Jeremiah 14, and I'm going to read verses 13 to 14, and then down to chapter 23. Jeremiah 14, and I am picking a couple of verses, but they, they speak pretty clearly to this. Ah, Lord God, I said, look, the prophets are telling them, you will not see the sword, nor will you have famine. But I will give you lasting peace in this place. In other words, these false prophets are preaching peace and prosperity 
when God hasn't told them to do that. You're going to be, you're living the way you're living. God's going to judge. They say, no, God, you're going to have, you're going to have peace. You're going to have prosperity. Things are not going to be so bad. Then the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. I have neither sent them nor commanded them nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you a false vision, divination, futility, and the deception of their own mind. That's why I say that they are not only deceiving, but they themselves are deceived over what they're giving. They're beginning to think it's really from God. They've had some kind of dream. They think it's really from God. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood at my counsel, then they would have have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 30 and 31 says, An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets are prophesying falsely, and the priests rule in their own authority. And the people, the people love it so. But what will you do in the end? That's the case. That's a sad thing. That's that's the Old Testament. Next time we'll come back, we're going to go to verse 11, where he talks about those that should be silenced, that is, put the hand over the mouth, muzzle them. They're upsetting whole families, groups, and they're teaching things they should not teach for the purpose of gain, which still goes on today, by the way. So this is important. The uh, word is... It's the most valuable thing we have, really, physical thing. And, and I don't mean to say, uh, and, and uh, we can get carried away, I don't mean to say that we are worshiping a book with some pages and ink on it like that. It's what the book communicates. It's God's word. It, it's, it's said to be inspired. It's said to be, it's have the breath of God behind it. It's, it's his speaking. Um, when we read the text, the black and white text and the ink, we are, God is speaking. It has his breath, so to speak. It's coming out of his mouth and it's speaking. We need to take it seriously. We need to listen. And we need to do it on a regular basis. We need to do it on a regular basis. It's, uh, our life depends on it. And it's, it's, uh, there has been so much effort given by the Lord for our growth and, and uh, salvation and maturity. And giving us his word as well. And there's, there's, um, there's a place down in the, called the scriptorium. It was down in the Holy Land experience. And I'm not sure, I don't think it's there now, but I think the, the Zion's fire is still heading that up. But they have in there a lot of, and it's, it's a museum of Bibles. And they have in there, uh, several Bibles that have stains on the pages. And they have a thing down at the bottom saying that these pages are stained with the blood of people that were protecting them from assault. And uh, it's it's really quite something to see and to sit there and look at that and realize this book was so valuable to people that they were willing to put their life on the line to preserve it and protect it. And it is valuable. And we need to take it seriously. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for bothering to give it to us. And I pray that you'll forgive us 
for taking it so lightly at times. And I'm guilty of mistreating it sometimes and treating it in a casual manner when it is extremely important and very powerful and absolutely true. Help us to, to trust it, to read it, to study it, to devour it, to obey it, to live it, and help us to be faithful in giving it out to others. Pray for the study tonight, Lord. Pray for Larry as he opens the word that you'll be speaking to him and to us and that your word will be clear and our hearts will be touched and our lives will be changed because your word does that. We thank you for that. We thank you for this time. And I pray your blessing upon this fellowship as we go our ways now. We pray in Jesus' name of thanksgiving. Amen.